I was thinking today as we're getting into our message series uh, on um, living the five, and as we think about what it means if I were a first-time churchgoer, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, what, what goes to make up that experience. And I've basically summarized it in five different areas that we begin to move into. And we start off with the idea that even though I'm a believer in God and I am now trusting Jesus, I know I can't do life alone, so I need to be a part of a church body where I can help others and participate with others in doing the exciting things of God and maybe even find myself going on the mission field. Who knows? And then as I am being changed in that process, I'm looking at people in my world and I'm saying, how can I bring what I have into their world and create some kind of positive effect on their lives through God's grace and presence in my own? And then as we move on to that, we see opportunities where we can serve and we say, how can I, rather than look to take advantage of another human being or selfishly um, uh, get something out of a relationship, how can I look at a life of another person and in the joy of the salvation that I have in Jesus, serve them in some way that they see him? And the benefit I get from that is the joy in knowing that as I've served them, they've been open to hearing what I have to say about his presence in my own life. And as I'm following the Lord, I know that I have been found. And I know that there are people like me before I was found who themselves are wondering and are lost. And that's really what I want to zoom in on today. I was thinking back um, well over 30 years ago, I preached my first sermon in a small church in rural Illinois, and it was the Humboldt Christian Church. And um, like my predecessor, Jack Austin, uh, we shared the same pastor, and in both cases, uh, as we were moving forward in our faith, he came up with the bright idea that we needed to be preaching sermons as well. And so, like he pushed your father into ministry, uh, he told me eight months into becoming a believer, um, you... You, you seem to really be uh, directed in this way. So I've told this church that needs someone to fill in for them that you would fill in for them. Not asking permission, but just simply saying, you're going to do it. Um, but I respected him as a pastor so much that I'm like, how can I say no? And so I inflicted several, several sermons on that little group of people. And in the midst of that uh, time of developing my public speaking ability, uh, there was a young man who came into the orbit of that church, and he was from Mesa, Arizona. And his experience had been prior to coming there, uh, he had been in a, in a family that was breaking up. Uh, mom and dad were in the process of going through a divorce, and knowing all the chaos and everything associated with that, the parents decided that it would be good to ship their son John uh, to Illinois to be with um, grandma and grandpa. So that summer, uh, John would sit with uh, grandmother and grandfather and about 25 other people and listen to my sermons. And he had the 80s version of goth in his apparel, I guess. I'm not sure how you could describe it, other than he just wore a lot of black and he seemed to be pretty rebellious. And he would sit in the pew and he would kind of sneer at what was going on. Until about uh, a month and a half into it, he walked up after the message and he said, you know what, I, I think I'd like to get baptized. And I was floored. I was thinking, 
you have been listening to this, uh, the messages the whole time, and God's been working on you. And I, I was really excited because it turned out uh, this young man ended up being the first person that I ever baptized. And as um, we went through that process of just conversationally uh, discussing who the Lord was and what I knew in my short time as a believer, um, it was interesting to see things begin to take shape in his own life. And immersing him in the water and allowing him to know the joy of salvation was an epic moment in his life. And in hindsight, I didn't realize just how much. And as um, we're going into uh, the message today, I want to just keep that story in the backdrop as we go to perhaps what is the first story that is being told in the Bible about the gospel being uh, proclaimed to someone who was not Jewish. And if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn to Acts chapter 8, verses 26. Or you can um, just follow along on the, um, on the uh, screen uh, behind me if you like, but in that uh, we read these words. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to, to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go and join this chariot. So Philip, trotting along beside him, uh, ran up to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and he asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up Uh, and sit with him in the chariot. And as he was reading the passage, uh, this is what we read from Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this, with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. Now some of you in the room, as you heard that kind of cryptic section of scripture being told, you, you, I think you knew what it was about. It was about Jesus on the cross being unjustly tried and unjustly executed and not saying a word as it occurred so that he could take upon himself the sins of humanity, be an atonement for the satisfaction of God's righteousness and justice and allowing us by faith in that act to come to know God. And the situation is is really interesting because um, here a fellow is who is a very privileged person who has a place of prestige within the queen's court and he's just asking questions about God and knowing that he's not Jewish but he fears the Jewish God. However, he's got some strikes against him. He, of course, cannot go as the temple is designed into 
the inner regions of the temple to worship God. He's got to stay in the outer regions. And being a, a eunuch, which I'm not going to go into that right now, but you can look that up if you like. Uh, it's a person who is unable to have children, who is given the responsibility of managing important things within the royal court. And that was him, and he, in that state, was not also able to come close to God. And yet, in, the, in, in, in a part of the countryside that is completely disconnected from where he's at, God is going to work. And he's working on a person who has been found, that is Philip. And he's churning within his heart a desire to make sure that other people are aware of what he's become aware of. That Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. And that as a result of that, we now can become his followers in the form of the church, empowered by his spirit, to summarize. But given all of that, what motivates you and I, or just anybody, to go into another person's world and tell them about Jesus? Now, in this day and age, it's risky because people will come back and say, you know, what business is it of yours? Or they might say, you know, I don't believe in that God or any God. Or they might say, aren't all gods the same? And on and on it goes. It's really a little bit of a minefield. And yet, there's something inside of us that makes us want to go. Um, You're probably aware right now that as we've sent those missionaries, we have another person who is uh, a member of this church who's coming back from Thailand of all places, Sean Conrad, one of our elders. And as he's returning... He was basically uh, coming back in the aftermath of feeling like I'm a found person and I've got to go find more people somewhere else. Probably envisioning at one point in his life that he would never, in his wildest dreams, find himself in Thailand. What is it that God does in our hearts that makes us do these things that seem so out of character? And I'd like to explore that as God does it in each of your lives. Um, And so we ask the question, why is that? God is driven. He's driven by a desire to bring to completion his kingdom purpose. When Jesus came, as you read through the Gospels, you find that the thing that he did more than anything was announce the kingdom. The kingdom of God has come. And people were hearing that, not fully understanding what that meant. But essentially he's saying that everything about the kingdoms that you've experienced up to this point... Uh, is secondary and, and certainly inferior to the kingdom that God is laying before you as I, as I come as his messenger and as his son. And the ideal situation for God is to imagine as many people as possible spending eternity together under his lordship and living together in a way where every interaction that we have with one another is always beneficial to everyone involved. Now, can you imagine that? Every exchange that you have, every discussion, it always ends in a place where it's even better. And there's so much about the kingdom that I'm not going to go into, but for the purposes of this message, I just want want to make you aware that God sees us as we are, and he's not content until he brings a whole new reality into being through his son and into our lives and into all of creation. It's a pretty 
bold goal that he has. And the way that he does it is through, of all people, if you just look around, is through us, the church. There's no other plan. If it wasn't for us, the church, and people like us all over the planet, this would not, this would not happen. And the way he ensures that it's been going on for 21 centuries is he gives us his Holy Spirit to churn within our hearts a new desire that centers around his desires. And as we see that, we find his joy and his blessing. Well, let's move into the message for a minute. And just, just face two realities. One is when lost people are not ready to be found... And you, you have them in your world, and, and I do mine. People that I care deeply about who are indifferent or hostile to the Lord. And I'd love to see that day when they enter into his kingdom alongside the rest of us. But I know there's a little bit of work that has to be done before that happens. And maybe that person, as you think about them, is a child or a parent or a best friend or somebody that means a lot to you. And as you're thinking about the fact that you may not be with them forever, it grieves your heart in such a way that you wish that they would just come to their senses and see God and see his purpose and see how good he is and embrace him. There's a lot of work that has to be done in hearts before they begin to see that. And the work, I believe, is activated by our prayers. If you take the person that you love and you bring them before the Lord and you say, God, please work in their heart to change their mind about what they think about you and your purposes. And please, Lord, bring into their world somebody who can say the words that they need to hear at the appropriate time so that they can respond in a way that makes their salvation come about. And those are two prayers that I've I've prayed repeatedly uh, for people that I know, and being a pastor for the number of years that I have, I've seen over time in, in, in several cases where a person will be going this way, and then all of a sudden they're darkening the church door, and they said, I never thought I'd come in here. I thought the walls would fall down, or the roof would cave in, or lightning would strike. And maybe you're one of those people, and you know how that change takes effect. Something that you can't describe, it's just a work of God working in our hearts. Probably because somebody somewhere was praying for you. Well, for now, that's about all the farther we're going to go with those lost people that are our burden. But there are other lost people um, that are ready to be found. And when they are, oftentimes this is what they're seeking. um, A place to belong. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, interesting set of circumstances here. Uh, Just to be a little bit graphic, uh, men are castrated so that they will not be tempted to um, take one of the king's concubines or wife or queen. And they're also, they found that in that state, they proved to be very trustworthy when it comes to managing money. And this person possibly came from poor circumstances, volunteered for that role, went through that procedure, and was given that responsibility because it's almost like 10 times out of 10, they end up with that outcome. And yet that person was saying, despite the fact that I now enjoy social prestige on a level that no one in my family has up to this point, I still don't feel like I quite belong. 
I still feel like that there, there, there's a little bit of a, of a gap between myself and the people that I'm, I'm, I'm connected to. And this particular person said, I, 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 like, I like what I hear about the Jewish God. And he would get permission from the queen to travel up to Jerusalem on, during times when um, important festivals were hap- happening, in this case, probably Pentecost. And he, he went up there, paid his honor to the Lord, and then was heading back to Ethiopia, knowing that he, 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 he loved the Jewish God, but he felt disconnected from the Jewish people. And God saw that pain in his heart, and he began to work himself, prompting Philip to be the person who would introduce him to a new reality that's happened in Christ. And as a result, long story short, the eunuch found a place where he would finally belong. Socially, it's one of those roles that you just don't really find yourself fitting anywhere. And yet the church community became the community that defined him. Uh, it, it was so fascinating to hear how the church has told this story over the years. That there's actually been um, stories told that he went back to Ethiopia, started a church, and then that church blossomed into a pretty large Christian community within Ethiopia itself. And there's no way to really verify that, only to say that he was given permission to create a new community and enjoy that community, and he found a place to belong. Now, in this day and age, we all want to connect with other people. We do that on Facebook. We do that uh, in in the real world by being involved with organizations, teams, um, and, and places that people gather. It could be bars. And we're saying, I just want to be around people because we all know when we're around people and we're accepted, we can express ourselves, we can be comfortable in our own skin, and people will still love us. And we gravitate to those environments. And the church of all places, Jesus envisioned, was to be a place where we could do and be exactly those things. And so as we look for that place to belong... We know that people in our orbit are actually trying to discover what's right in front of us. And as they find a place to belong, they're, through the course of time, looking for a story that gives meaning to their lives. And this young boy that, uh, who was 13 at the time and now is really in his mid-40s that I baptized a number of years ago is halfway through his life cycle. And I would love to be able to track him down and say, um, say to him, John, how's it been going since you were baptized? And I don't have any idea how this young man who is now probably um, married and has children in Mesa, Arizona, how he fared. But I'd love to think that the story that he began was a story that gave him new meaning and new purpose. His backdrop before he came to Illinois was just simply life was going really good until, until, until things went south with mom and dad. And as that unfolding occurred, he felt the displacement, the chaos, the uncertainty, and perhaps 
at the deepest level insecurity of not knowing where this was going to land. The safest place for him to be was in the presence of two people who had loved each other for 60 years. And they invited him in, and they welcomed their grandson, and they brought him to church. And of all things, the story that they had been living out as followers of Jesus, as leaders in a church, had become his story. And everything that he had gone through began to make more sense. Even though it wasn't a perfect situation, he found that he could continue through life in the strength of the Lord with the support of grandparents and the support of even parents who in their own um, issues were wanting the, well, the best of his well-being despite everything. And he was engaged in a story that makes sense. And I, I believe that if you were to look at your life and you were to imagine it without God and without any purposeful direction, that you would feel this longing to belong and to be a part of something that was meaningful, that was purposeful, that hopefully would even have a lasting effect. But it would be hard to really create that on our own, wouldn't it? And yet God has said, I've already, I've already, the story's been going on for a long time. And the, off, and the on-ramp is my son. And the place to belong is my church. And so that, that's, that's two of the things that we are sort of grasping for. And when we find it, we're like, oh, yeah, that's a fit. But then as we get engaged in that, um, we also need other people uh, to show us what we have to do. Because as we think about, I'd like to go to church, or I'd like to find a church to belong, I'm so confused about even where to start. And I don't even know where I'm going to end up at if I do go. A lot of people are saying, and maybe they're in your world right now, I'm looking and people don't even see me looking. I'm seeking and I'm hungry, but I don't even know how to ask. And perhaps the level of awareness that we have of people who are marginal to the gospel or separated in some way, maybe we just need to say, would you like to come to church? Or what do you think about Jesus? And there's no wrong answer. And they're just looking for an opportunity to move forward. The Ethiopian eunuch was sort of at a, at a, at a, at a logjam there in his understanding of the scripture. And God said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be at work here. I'm going to be at work in Philip's life. I'm going to be at work in his life. And I'm going to converge things together in such a way that it'll be a God moment where it'll just have my imprint all over it. And as God orchestrated this event for an opportunity for the Ethiopian to act, he gave the Ethiopian the right scripture at the right time and the right person to speak the right words in the right moment that the response was simply, what keeps me from getting baptized? Other than the fact that we're on a desert road and there are no watering holes, except for that one right over there. And God even provided the right place at the right time with the right people. And one of the things that's hard to document as a believer is how God works behind the scenes. Now, if I understand the story correctly, and, and um, uh, you guys who are associated with the mission team here um, who uh, have better understanding of this, um, and maybe, uh, Diane, um, if, if, if I'm not getting the facts right, just, just let me know. 
as you know, we've been trying to raise money for water filters for people in the Dominican. And if you've been here before, you've probably heard us share how a, a clay pot that is impregnated with, with silver um, has this wonderful effect of taking impure water. And as the process of osmosis occurs through that, and then the water um, is expelled out the bottom, it becomes perfectly pure. The end result being families that had bad water, had bad teeth, bad health, and lots of issues are finding dramatically that their health is improving to such a level that they can function quite well. And their teeth and their health and all of that is impacted greatly by just a water filter. And um, we've been trying to send as many as we possibly can because we see the effect. Um, the, the, the team that we're partnered with in, in PA approached their church with a number in mind that they needed to get the amount of water filters that they felt were sufficient for that. Not realizing that the church was already thinking about how they could provide water filters. And when they went to go ask, can you help us? They, the, the church actually responded before they had time to, to even start their, 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 little, their little script. They said, we'd like to give you some money. Bless you. We'd like to give you some money. And we would like to give you this amount, which was the exact same amount as the amount that they were needing to begin with. The only person who knew how to connect those two was God. And I could probably tell you stories all day long about how God just works here and here and here, and then at the right moment brings everything together for his purpose. I can't explain it. All I know is he's that third party that is an unseen realm that makes things happen. That gives us confidence that God is at work, and so we just move as we're directed. So here's, a, here's how, we, how, we, um, how we proceed. How do we find people? Well, I think the first thing that you have to do, and maybe it involves, and, and I hate to say this, but I'm as guilty as the next person, maybe it involves turning your telephone off for half an hour, not allowing yourself to be distracted, stepping back, and not allowing any other distractions to occur or any other st stimulation to come in and just being still and allowing God to speak in a still small voice thoughts into your, impress thoughts into your mind that have to do with lost people that you're burdened by. And I, I have to give that little bit of additional step to that because it's the time that we live in. People do not stop to reflect because it's a lot easier to just engage with digital and other media. But by design, God wants you and I to take time away from that, to think about him, <clears throat> think about his purposes, and then to listen to what he's, he's guiding us into. And I just would ask that if you want to find somebody, you take that first step. As you do, pray and listen for his prompting. And then look for clues. This may also mean turning your electronic device off for a little bit and just scanning the environment and saying, oh yeah, God, you're working right there, aren't you? Maybe I need to step in. 
Or maybe I need to have somebody help me um, uh, speak to that person about what you're doing in that moment. And as God gives you wisdom and direction, and you see clues where people are maybe going through a very difficult time, and they're asking some big questions, or they're feeling like um, that life has no purpose. And there are a variety of things that have to do with how we find satisfaction in God that people are looking for answers for, and we just have to be aware. So we look for the clues, we see God working, and then after that, we have to be prepared, like Philip was, to give direction. Now he, 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 he was prompted by an angel of all things to go. He went, and the scripture tells us, then at that point, the Holy Spirit began to prompt him, and he followed that direction, and it resulted in a person getting baptized. They were not really clear on how you go through the whole baptismal process. And it may have even been a new thing that was told as he told him the story. But as he became aware of it, he said, there's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And if somebody said, there's some water right behind you, pastor, in the baptismal, what prevents me from getting baptized? And I, I, I'm not going to stand in your way. Uh, I would say wait for it to heat up a little bit. But other than that, Let's, uh, let's, let's keep moving on this. And I, I love that about our story because when we are baptized, it satisfies so many things that people look for. First of all, it is a way for you and I to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his story. We also identify with the Old Testament story of the, of the Israelite slaves coming out of Egypt, going through the water, the Red Sea, and then coming up and moving towards the promised land. And in both cases, people are called into being as a part of a family, whether it's the Israelites or whether it's us as believers who now share our identity together through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we belong to the same family. And we have to be prepared to share that with people, to let them know that this is how we become belongers, and this is how we become part of God's family. This is how we find salvation. And this is where we begin when we start to take steps in knowing God and knowing Him in our lives. Now, I guess the question that I have as we move into the action step is, are you willing, if you've been tracking with the Lord for a while and you're, you're part of this process already, are you willing to one day or each, uh, each day pray for one person that you can show God's love? Just one simple act. Lord, I'm putting my phone down. I'm spending a few minutes with you and I'm asking you, Please make me aware of someone that I can bring an act of service or kindness or love into their world. And then give me the eyes through the course of the day to see that opportunity and then move through it. And I shared a story in the guide article this week about a fellow who was a pastor in Texas who ended up being called to Massachusetts of all places. And he challenged the congregation. He said... In Texas, I told my church, I would like for you to do exactly what I instructed you to do here. And I found that when people started doing that, 
they became aware of lost people. And actually lost people started to get invited to church. And not only that, the church began to really take that on as part of their responsibility. And he challenged this church in Massachusetts, which, if you, have you ever been to Texas? Do you, do you know what kind of hospitality they have in the South? Okay, it's like if you get a job somewhere, they'll ask you, where are you from and what church do you go to? And it's just like, it's all about church and stuff. You go to Massachusetts, it's like, I'm not going to talk to you even though you've been my neighbor for 27 years. Unless your house is on fire, I may come over and tell you. And that's about it. And what happened in this church was their eyes became open to so many things that were opportunities to just open a door or to show a kindness or to respond to a need that people actually said, whoa, I'm taken back by your awareness of what's going on in my life. And the church actually began to grow. And it's just us tuning our eyes to see the lost. Like Philip was probably praying when the angel spoke to him and he was predisposed to hearing from the Lord. At times, we have to do the same. And then when that happens, we need to act. Now since it's kind of a mission theme day, um, do, I don't know if you remember, just a few short months ago, we had a couple here and their, and their son, um, Rich and Sarah Vogt, and their son Jonathan were getting ready to go to the mission field. And they have all kinds of concerns about the effect that this is having on him. But what's interesting is how this story has developed in his life. And I'm going to conclude with a video that he sent me this morning that I think is worth sharing of how the story is unfolding even in his own family.
moment I, I can't imagine um, I'm, I'm looking forward to emailing him and telling him that we all saw that and are celebrating with him and just rejoicing with the angels in heaven but how much more does our heavenly father celebrate in knowing that this is a step towards him and realizing that um, there is a destiny where a father and did you see him hugging his dad and the Father can carry his Son with him into all eternity to be together. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And it's because Jesus came in his own way and brought us into his story. And gave us something that we did not deserve. And yet, when we receive it, we profoundly rejoice in it. And I don't know if you've made that story part of your story. But every Sunday we have an on-ramp to that place in our worship gatherings, and we would love to help you discover him, be part of an ever-expanding church family that will be destined for eternity forever in God's goodness. And the response that God is looking for isn't one that he's trying to coerce but rather it's one he's trying to love you into and I hope we as a church are helpful in that process and show you the type of characteristics in our own lives that he embodies himself with the desire of helping you to know him 